I don't think I've ever seen a game where one team, well, I'd say both teams, didn't shoot a single free throw in the first half. And in the second half, combined for 41. Like, Bruce Pearl said it afterwards, don't ever really see that happen. I mean, it's it. we talk about it all the time. We complain a lot about officiating, especially college basketball officiating, because it is so bad. But, I mean, for both teams last night, you you can't. How can you get any sort of good game, flowing game, if you immediately like in the first half there were so, there were so many bumps around the rim and shots that went up that had contact, no foul call, nobody goes to the line, and then the second half, I mean, both teams, both teams getting the double bonus rather quickly. Auburn had, Auburn got called for seventeen fouls in the second half. Mississippi State shot 28 free throws. And usually that wouldn't be a bad thing because Mississippi State's not good at shooting free throws, but they had a pretty good game, and that's what kept them in uh, uh, the game. It's just, I don't know. I mean, beating a dead horse for sure, but I just don't I just don't know how anyone can look at that job done by the officials and say, okay, that was fine. Yeah, keep going. Y- y'all got it. It's a hard job. I-, I get that, but, like, I mean, you had that one referee – that was more worried about, you know, making sure Janai Broom didn't do the too little celebration to him. I mean, that, this man, this is the second time this has happened in the last couple of weeks where a guy has, or a referee has run to uh, a player and, like, gotten up on him to kind of talk talk about him, about, you know, talking trash or whatever. It's just, it, it's so silly. I mean that's the whole thing about these. It's just so silly what people what they emphasize and what they don't, and then there's no consistency on top of it. It sort of feels like the refs are scouting the player celebrations, and I don't know if they're. I presume, but don't actually know that there's some sort of governing body that's supposed to critique the officials. And that would be a funny one to go back Something, and review yeah. and be like, "Hey, do y'all see anything that stands out about this game?" Yeah. Did you did you notice where just just slide a box score to him like I I want y'all to look at the first half box score and the second half box score and tell me the biggest difference you see between these two images. The uh okay, so here's the thing about officials is that I'm not going to go I don't know uh our our internet friend uh Justice Mosqueda uh who covers the Packers and writes about the NFL. His uh his his tried and true referee thing has always been put referees addresses home addresses on the back of their jerseys <laughs> so everybody know, like if they had to do that if they had to do that to be an official you know that maybe that's maybe that'll that'll uh, cut down a lot of this nonsense but you do know who the officials are in this game this is a group I talked about it uh let's see Tuesday night against Ole Miss and we I mean. I wrote about it. Uh, there were a couple of questions about it in the in the mailbag on Friday, but it's like the fact that we know referees' names, like the fact that we know that Pat Adams was working that game, the fact you know that that we know that uh, you know we know who TV Teddy was, you know we know, um, you know we know the we know the big names around here. In officiating, but like the other night against Ole Miss, it was like, all right, Wednesday night you got um, Joe Lindsay and Pat Adams are on the call together, and it's like, oh god, like because they have that rep. This game, this game, the officials were Don Daly, Mike Nance, 
and Vladimir Voyard Tadal. Um, and looking at it, Ken Palm has this nice little tracker of like where guys officiated and kind of how the games went. Uh, our guy VVT Vladimir Voyard Tadal. All the other Auburn game he had called this year was the loss to Georgia in Athens, and I'm not saying you know conspiracy or anything like that. No, I'm not. I'm not saying that at all. But if you do remember correctly, in that game, Georgia shot. 32 free throws is more than double the amount that Auburn did in this game, obviously more than twice the amount uh, of free throws in in the the direction there. So Don Daly also called Auburn Colgate this year, which was not much of a game at all. Uh, Auburn won that one by 27, no problems there. And then Mike Nance called the Auburn South Florida game, uh, the second game of the season. That game had a ton of free throws in it as well. But it's just you got to have balance because I, I mean, Painter, I mean, you played you played sports. I know I know soccer officiating uh, is different than than like basketball and others. But like, if you're a player and you don't know what the definition of what a foul is going to be, and it doesn't stay consistent through a game, it's hard to get into it. It's hard to it's hard to play because you you have to st- you have to immediately start second guessing yourself, or it just you know the effort levels aren't going to be as consistent because you know the officiating is not going to be consistent. When you have something that's, hey, this game's going to be free-flowing, or, look, we have a definition. This much contact, this much, you know, this or that is going to be called a foul. This is what we're going to call. It's one thing. But to go from one half where they had no free throws, the first time that's happened to Auburn all season, to the second half over 41. I mean, they only played 20 minutes of basketball. And there's and there's 41 free throws shot in there. It's just, I I don't know as an athlete. I don't know how you deal with that. I don't know how you I don't know how you get through that. Not as pertinent to the way this game unfolded, but another pet peeve while we're airing official grievances: a game that's called sure. tight for 39 minutes, and then the final minute, refs swallow their whistles because it's like, well, we don't we don't want to yeah. make a determination on the game. It's like I get it. I get that you want to let the game play out. Most of us who've been on the wrong end of a close call are like, hey, you know, don't put the game in your hands, yada, yada. It obviously depends on where you tend to come down on how that call is ruled. But, uh, yeah, I think to your original point, consistency. And, and again, it's hard. I don't envy the refs in any way. That's why I don't do it. Particularly weird officiating. Have you ever had to be an official before? Yeah, yeah. Like when I was a camp counselor, you had to do a little bit of it, but stakes are pretty low. Stakes are low. I I refed some like church league games growing up, basketball. It was fine. Uh, those are fine. My uh my brother in law actually on Saturday he was talking about he he had to do a few games as well, and uh, yeah, church league church league basketball. Somebody the coach got a tech the other day, <laughs> which. There's like an old, an old, uh, you know, I don't know how, I don't know how true the story is. Is what you might have man, we might have Mandela affected it into existence. But like, there's a thing about my dad getting a tech in a in a church league basketball game one time as an official. Uh, I, uh, I okay, all right, real quick. Any of y'all who are listening to this knows what upward is. Upward basketball, if you know that, is church league ball. It's like the standardized process for it. Anyway, when I was third grade, fourth grade, we were playing a game, and uh, to show you how competitive and how much of a pain I was as a as a child when it comes when it came to sports, it's like I was in the third or the fourth grade, 
and we're playing a game, an upward game, and um, the referee who was calling the game, uh, God bless him, he was about 950 years old, and he officiated the game like he was 950 years old. And I remember nine-year-old, 10-year-old me thinking that he got a call wrong and I yelled at the referee and my dad got on to me. He was my coach. My dad got on to me. And if you've ever, if you, if you don't know upward at the end of the game, they give out these, these stars or they used to at least, or it's like player with the best offense, got a star player with the best effort defense sportsmanship. So sportsmanship, my dad told me during a timeout to go apologize to this referee for yelling at him. And, um, during the timeout, I went over there and I was still mad about the call and I didn't apologize to him. I just turned and ran back to the bench after the game. My dad gives me the sportsmanship star and like says, Hey, good job for doing the right thing and apologizing. And I had to tell him afterwards, just like, I didn't apologize to him. <laughs> so my, my stance against referees has been going strong from a very young age. Uh, and so, um, yeah, I just games like that. Like, I, yeah, it's I, I can I can attest it's a hard job. It's not a it's not an easy job by any means. But like, I also in the first half of this game, I don't know if you could see it on TV. In the first half of this game, there were several. There were at least two. I remember ball goes out of bounds, and it's like they all looked at each other to figure out. Like, there was one on the sideline right in front of the Mississippi State bench where the guy in front of it threw his hands up and pointed to the other referee. The guy at the baseline pointed his hands up and, threw the, and pointed to the guy on the other end of the floor, and he threw his hands up like that. And so they had to just call a jump ball. Like, what are you getting paid to do if all three of you are watching this game and y'all can't tell me where, where the ball went? And, like, late in games, they can't review that kind of stuff because they had to do that again uh, down the stretch. I I mean, this is – we try to be pro player on this uh, on this podcast. We try to be – uh, you know, pro the pro pro student, the fan experience uh, for the students. By the way, Auburn student section was awesome again on uh, on Saturday night. Um, we are we are not pro official. I think we can make that that stance. And there was a story I saw this week, Painter, that AAA baseball. Uh, you know, so the the top level of minor league baseball, one step below the show uh, this season, uh, is going to have robot umpires. And I think that makes it a little bit easier in baseball, where there's a you know you can have a consistent strike zone and you know all that stuff with with bases, and you can put all the technology in there. Um, I'm ready for robots for everything. Let's just bring on the robots. I want them all. It's the Auburn Observer Podcast, the weekend edition, the free edition. Justin Ferguson right here in Auburn, Alabama. Painter Sharpless at Parts Unknown, in Parts Unknown, I should say. Hello, Painter. So, continuing with the ref theme, the end, or at least the second half of that Jags game, once again, just raises the hairs on the back of my neck. My ears perk up a little bit. When someone tells me that the NFL is rigged. It's like, hey, the line was two and a half. How did they get it so close? 
Especially in a game where Trevor Lawrence throws four picks in the first half. What were they up? 27-0. I'm feeling good. We're cruising. We're having a good time. Uh, and then suddenly you look up and it's a two-point game and you go, oh, no matter what, whether or not they hit this field goal or not, I'm going to be an unhappy camper. Oh, so you had you had Chargers covering? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Foolish. Never, oh, never count on the oh, Chargers dear. in the playoffs. That was my own doing. Although, to be fair, I don't really think you can rely on the Jaguars That's- either. I just, I, you know, it was so funny seeing that game unfold while we were, you know, at the arena because it would just get carried through like the, like the press row and it'd be like, Trevor Lawrence just threw another pick. <laughs> like it would just get that. And then towards the end of the game, it's like, we're, you know, we're going up to the post game press conference and it's like, okay, the Jags are only down by a little bit here or, oh, they're about to score. Oh, they're about to get a, get a chance to win this game. And like Bruce Pearl's press conference ended right before the game-winning field goal. So, like, he gets done, everybody's clearing out, and then it's like, I think it was Brian Matthews. I think we all just, there were like 15 of us around his laptop just watching that that finish. Um, I Does want, Bruce have I an NFL team? On, on, the, on the Jacks. If he did, I would imagine it's the Patriots because he is right, a Celtics fan. Right, a Northeastern fan, guy. A guy for, yeah. For, yeah. I would imagine it's the Patriots. I think I've heard him talk about Tom Brady before. I'm pretty sure. So I would say I would say probably the Patriots, which they're not in the playoffs this year. Um, the our beloved Buffalo Bills are though. I'm recording this before they play the Dolphins on on Sunday. Um, but yes, we're here not to talk about the NFL, although it was fun. Let's talk about Auburn basketball's big win over Mississippi State, and big is in meaningful in a day in in, in the SEC in a day in college basketball. There are a lot of upsets, a lot of things going on. This is from Nick Moyle, uh, who I saw this retweet. I think Adam Cole retweeted this. He is uh, he, he covers the Texas uh, Longhorns for uh, uh, looks like the Express News. Uh, he wrote this, 20 of the top 25 teams in the AP played on Saturday. Nine of them lost to unranked teams. Uh, Big 12 had two top 25 games today. So 11 ranked teams lost on Saturday. It was a wild day in college basketball. And Auburn getting a win against Mississippi State wasn't always super comfortable, but they pick up the lead early in this game and never trail again. Um, The closest Mississippi State came in the second half was four, and then there was a stretch there at the end to finish it off. However, this was a game... Uh, Painter that Auburn absolutely needed because Mississippi State there there are teams like this every year that you play and I know Arkansas lost to Vanderbilt because they're hurt and banged up and they're not playing quite well uh, at the moment but like to me Arkansas is going to be very similar Mississippi State is going to be very similar to Arkansas at the end of the season where you get you get to the SEC play and you're like oh I'm glad we only had to play those guys once and and I'm glad it was only in our building because man that state team on defense especially, they make basketball not fun for you if you're if you're on offense. Uh, Auburn turns the ball over 20 times in this game, um, which is not great. They had done a really good job the last few games of taking care of the ball in, in, this, in this winning streak. This is what Mississippi State does to people, so you can kind of see a little bit of anomaly. I mean, there were a lot of charges, weird calls, weird turnover calls. Alan Flanagan turns the ball over a ton with that extra with the extra usage. We'll talk about him. But, I mean, absolutely got to get it because now Auburn is tied for third in the SEC. 
There are only two undefeated teams left in league play. We're not even a third of the way through the, the, the schedule. Texas A&M's got one fewer game play than Alabama. Alabama looks like the class of the league. Kentucky loses it. Kentucky goes and beats Tennessee on, on Saturday, uh, which is why I say it's very important. Like, you know, I know a lot of Auburn fans, Auburn basketball is really the only basketball team you watch consistently. But keep an eye on what else is happening, not only in the SEC, but college basketball. We've talked about all those upsets. But Kentucky loses to South Carolina, beats top five Tennessee on the road. Vanderbilt, we talked about beating, beating Arkansas. Uh, Missouri was top 20, now has lost two games this week. Florida beat them. And now they're tied with – now Auburn's tied for third in the SEC with Tennessee. A&M, you know, they get A&M coming up here shortly. Like they, they have uh, – they're in a really, really good spot right now. So the most important thing is that Auburn won this game. And I don't know what your thoughts were immediately after the game, but it's it's just one of those where I think – State's so different and experienced in the way they play their defense, and it was such a grinded out and uneven, kind of ugly game, especially with the officiating, that you just say, hey, you get the win and keep it rolling. Yeah, winning a close game against a team that plays Mississippi style's style of basketball. I think the last I looked, spread closed around eight. Um, I mean, that that game with or without the officiating unfolded about how you would have thought within a couple of baskets, Auburn, the better team, Auburn at home, not a surprise that they win, but also Auburn never really uh, put itself in a position to, uh, I guess, put its foot on the throat of Mississippi state. Like there are some times where it had a nice little bit of cushion. Um, I don't know how you felt about the ebb and flow of this game. I actually felt like Auburn distanced itself mm-hmm. and kept Arkansas at an arm's length better than it did this Mississippi State team. Yeah, they definitely did, um, and I think it's I think it's the fouls. I think they sent they sent State to the line way too many times in the second half. They turned the ball over a ton in the second half. Auburn got off to such a good start in this game in the first half. Uh, you know, Chris Jans after the game for Mississippi State said, "I think we lost the game in the first half with so many empty possessions." Mississippi State had two assists and 13 turnovers in the first half. Now, they tightened it up in the second half. They ended up winning the second half by two, but it just never had it. And the big one in this game, obviously, is the three-point shooting. This is Auburn's best three-point shooting game of the season in terms of number of, of shots hit. They hit 11 uh, from deep. They go 11 to 25, 44%. It's the first time they shot above 33% since the Washington game from deep. So, a really, really good game for them in that aspect. Meanwhile, Mississippi State goes 0 for 18 from deep. Auburn's plus 33 in this game on points off of three-pointers, and yet only still wins by six. That ought to tell you some things about where Auburn got them on de- uh, on defense. But first and foremost, this is a game where Auburn had go- a great three-point shooting night, and Mississippi State had a an abysmal one, and that's why you went. Like, we talk about it a lot, uh, about how this team can find different ways to win games. It felt like a few weeks ago, it was like, well, they're going to grind it out, play ugly. That's how they're going to have to do it. They beat Ole Miss with their offense on Wednesday night, and or on Tuesday night, and then on Saturday night, they beat when they they beat Mississippi State with their offense. Defense plays well at times, as you know, too. They 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 play a key role in it. But to have your best three point shooting night against a team that's one of the best defenses in America, um, a team that does give up looks from deep, but they're hard to hit because that's a very long and very athletic team. Auburn didn't really focus their attention around the basket as much in this game just because of Tolu Smith and some of those guys, uh, Cameron Matthews, uh, you know, uh, DJ Jeffries, just a big physical Mississippi State team. 
They shoot exceptionally well in this game. Auburn does from deep, and they needed all of it. They needed every bit of it to come out with a win. Here's where here's where this game. I think the the real telling quote from Bruce Pearl after the game was this. He said, "Jani Broom has been our most consistent player. He's been unbelievably consistent tonight. Just didn't have a big night, and yet we're still able to win. This team should feel really good about that, and that's a hundred percent correct." Jani Broom was on a double-double streak that Auburn hadn't seen since Simeon Bowers. If he'd have gotten another double-double on uh, on Saturday night, he would have been the first one to have five in a row for Auburn since the late Jeff Moore, uh, you know, back uh, back in the back in the day for the Tigers. Yeah, in this game, he just didn't have it. Six points, four rebounds, but more importantly, his rim protection was just not where it needed to be against a team for Mississippi State that's just so good on the inside. Mississippi State. Scores 63 points in this game. They score 40 in the paint. They score 21 from the free throw line. That just means only two points they scored the entire game were either not at the paint or the free throw line. Tolu Smith goes 20 and 10. DJ Jeffrey scores 12. Uh, you've got, uh, let's see, Cameron Matthews had seven in this one. Like, this was a game where Mississippi State just hammered away at the rim, and it worked. Usually hammering away at Janai Broom is not a good strategy. But Mississippi State, 19 of 26 on shots at the rim. They got whatever they wanted down low. Jai Broom, zero blocks, four fouls. Not a great game for him. He had been playing so, so well. You're going to have off nights. But the fact that Jai Broom doesn't play that well and Auburn still comes out with a win is significant because now we've seen twice this week this past week, where Auburn has won with their offense, and they've done it in very different ways. No, this is not a good three-point shooting team. But when they get hot, look out. Like, they can they can string it together. It does get contagious. Shooting is contagious, and this game was, was in fact, a, 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 I think it was a good example of it on both ends of the floor. For Auburn, Jalen Williams go, comes out on fire, scores 11 of their first 13, including three threes, finishes the game 5 of 7 from deep, 21 points, that's a season high, nearly a career high for him in several categories. But what else do you get? Al Flanagan hits a couple of threes. Wendell Green hits a couple of threes. Seth Jasper hits one. Katie Johnson hits one. Meanwhile, Mississippi State's taking decent looks from deep, but nobody can hit them. And then they go 0 for 18. It's contagious on both ends in both different types of ways. And so, Peter, we talk about this team and we talk about just you know, the depth that they have, and they're not playing as much with their bench anymore. They're relying more on their experience. That that rotation has really tightened up over the last couple of weeks. But when we talk about the depth of this team and the variety of this team, it's the fact that they can beat you in a number of ways. And we had talked about that the year that um the the year that was canceled due to COVID, or the the tournament was canceled due to COVID, that team had that kind of you know, the the Samir Dowdy uh Javon McCormick, Austin Wiley team, like Isaac Coro, that team could beat you in a number of ways. This team kind of feels like that way as well, and this past week showed it. And like, I, it's going to make them a more dangerous team because I think you can see Alabama's the class of the league. We're going to see if this A and M start keeps up, but like the rest, uh, the rest of the league's there for the taking. And I think this week, when you see South Carolina beat Kentucky and then get drilled by A and M. And then you see Kentucky go beat Tennessee on the road. It's like, yeah, anybody can get anybody in any moment. And that's and this is where I think Auburn's versatility and their ability to adapt to a lot of different matchups and situations, I think is going to make them a really dangerous team. 
I should be careful not to draw too much of a blanket conclusion off of just these numbers, but the shot quality Twitter account is a fun follow. Yeah. Uh, there were kind of similar results in the Arkansas win. I think the shot quality account had Arkansas winning that game based on their shot selection and Auburn, uh, again, I guess by the its own metrics, it thinks should have lost to Mississippi State. You know, and I have to imagine some of that is, I, I think some of that probably means credit to Auburn for the way it's playing defense. They knew that that Mississippi State makes life difficult for teams down low. This has kind of been their mo on that side of the floor all year, and so they just start bombing away. They find ways to get guys open from deep, create opportunities, and they take advantage. Jalen Williams played an exceptional game. Not only did he have 21 points, he had seven rebounds in one of the tougher matchups against Cameron Matthews, as Ruth Rell said after the game. Really, only a stretch of fouls. He got a ton of fouls pretty quickly in the second half was the only thing that could slow him down because he hits two more threes in quick succession in the second half. He plays really, really well. As Bruce Pearl said afterwards, he said, this is one of the best games I've ever seen him play. Everyone will point to the five threes, but it was his heart. It was as physical as I've ever seen him play. The kid Cameron Matthews is one of the biggest, strongest athletes in college basketball. He's just a monster, man. And Jalen did everything he possibly could to keep him at bay and keep him off the glass. If you want to give anybody credit for us winning this game, give it to Jalen Williams. Painter, we have seen this kind of thing for Jalen Williams. It's like, hey, can he get more aggressive? Can he go hunt a shot a little bit more? Can he be that leader? Because sometimes he defers too much. He's not that kind of guy that can go full, you know, alpha takeover mode. And this game, I mean, he took a couple of heat checks. He hunted his shot out. And it was funny, after afterwards, he's he's at the podium with Wendell Green Jr. And Wendell says, Wendell says afterwards, he's like, I was just telling him to keep shooting. I've been telling him that since I met him. We need you to shoot the ball. We need you to play like this. Just open it up for everybody. That's what he came out and did. He said, I'm just telling him to continue today, and you can carry us every night for all I care. Like, that... Jalen Williams is fully capable of doing this for Auburn on a more consistent basis. Maybe not, you know, shooting five of seven from deep. You can't expect him to do that. But, like, that's a great all-around basketball game for him. Had a couple assists, including a really good no-look one to uh, uh, dunk Carwell on a dunk in the second half. Only had one turnover in a game where Auburn was turning the ball over a ton, and he had the ball in his hands a lot. We talked about it after the Georgia game, Painter, and, and, and Alan Flanagan – Ton of turnovers for Allen in this game. But two of four from deep, ten points, seven boards. He played really hard on defense. Did a great job rebounding. We talked about it after the Georgia game and said, okay, Auburn's got this experience, and this experience really isn't carrying like we thought they would. There's been steps back. Guys have regressed. They haven't played better. Since then, you got a fourth year senior and and Jalen Williams playing really good basketball. You got a fourth year senior now and Flanagan playing really good basketball. And you have a third-year guy who's played a ton of minutes in Wendell Green Jr. taking that step forward as well. Um, I mean, this is the this is the type of thing that we've been wanting to see from Auburn, especially Jalen Williams and Allen Flanagan. And I know not perfect games, especially from Allen in this one, but Auburn does, Auburn is not a talent-rich roster compared to a lot of teams in the SEC that are, that you're going in the season and say, oh yeah, here's. 
here's an NBA draft pick. Here's multiple NBA draft picks on this team. This Auburn team is more of kind of classic, just good college basketball team with experience. They're having to adapt to play in that way, and, and it's and it's showing right now. And having Jalen Williams and Allen playing and being in the midst of some of their best runs of their career right now, um, you know, goes a goes a, goes such a long way for this team and in them trying to, you know, potentially get that double buy in the SEC tournament, top four top four team in the league, and put himself in a good position to maybe make some noise in March. It's nice to see Jalen perform well. I saw, I'm not exactly sure what the, the numbers are, but someone pulled like his last 40 or 45 three-pointers, and he's, I think he's made more than 20 of them. I have been sort of doubtful about Jalen at different times in his career, always wanting to see a little bit more, always sort of waiting to see if he can uh, have a an impactful role. I was certainly doubtful last offseason when, Bruce said we would run a lot of the offense through him, and I mean, at times they are doing that. See, the last nine games, uh, Jalen Williams is shooting fifty percent from deep uh, <laughs> right now. If you go back, starting with the uh, starting with the Memphis game, he he's just had a really good run this year. Jalen Williams now, after that big game, is now shooting forty two percent from deep this season. Uh, he's twenty one of fifty uh, on the year, which is good enough for top. 180 in the country of qualified shooters. So he's really started to develop that shot. Peter, you talked about it, getting nervous, get you know, wanting to really pull it away. There was a time where it looked like state potentially was going to come back. Auburn had gone more than four minutes without scoring. And then Wendell green jr. It, it, it's the thing with Wendell, man. It's like, he's a great closer. He's, he's been so well, he's been playing so well in the last few minutes of these games here recently in this winning streak. And we talked about how much he struggled against Georgia and Auburn pulled him for Trey Donaldson in the closing minutes of that game. And since then, he's averaging nearly 20 points a game, five assists, and he's cut down his turnovers really well, shooting an insane clip from the free throw line in that game, in those games as well. Um, Wendell Green, you know, Auburn's down, Auburn's only up by four. Things are getting a little nervy. They get the ball into Allen Flanagan and Wendell Green's hands at the top of the key, which there's carried some risk to it. I, I read about this in the observations. Allen had turned the ball over a lot. Wendell was not shooting well. And yet they created, played a little two-man game, a handoff top of the key, circled back. He hits the three. Auburn goes up by seven. Auburn creates a turnover on the other end of the floor. Wendell hits the layup. He then hits six more free throws down the stretch. And Mississippi State never truly was going to take the lead in that game after Wendell turned it on late. Like I said, averaging twenty and five as a point guard over this over these last three games is huge. I think he is going to have a chance. We'll see what the rest of the league looks like. He's going to have a chance to potentially be SEC Player of the Week this week because his numbers have been phenomenal here down the stretch um, of games, especially. And it's the thing with him, man. Like even if he's held quiet, he is fully capable of just clicking and turning it on super, super uh, quickly. And that that's what you need from your PG-1. He's a guy that people trust late in the game. He's an awesome free throw shooter. Uh, right now, Wendell Green Jr. is shooting a hot uh, 84% from the free throw line this year. He's 84 of 100 uh, from the stripe. He is top 100 in the country at getting to the free throw line, top 30 in, in drawing fouls. This is what he does. 
when you have an experienced point guard coming back, you need him. I mean, how many times last season, Painter, were there games where down the stretch Wendell's play slipped and Auburn lost? More often than not here this season in tight games, he's been the guy to help him get over the finish line. And it's a team effort. you got to have everybody involved in it. But when your point guard is playing with that level of confidence and that, that level of you know kind of consistency – no matter what happened earlier in the game, no matter what his shot's looking like, where you just know, hey, in the clutch he can deliver, I mean, that that's the sign of a winning basketball team. That's a sign of a team that can continue to make noise and potentially beat some teams that are better than you or you know are going to be more on your level in terms of talent when it matters most this year. It is probably a little bit tired of a comparison, but... Oh, well, it does seem like Wendell has earned a lot of that trust that Jared earned with how he runs the offense and what Bruce expects and and thinks he can get from Wendell. And there's probably some things that Wendell can get away with because he's uh, I think I think Bruce is very pleased, generally speaking, with what Wendell provides the team. And say last night or he might have. I just can't remember. The last few times the subject of Wendell Green has been brought up in press conference, either by a reporter or by Bruce Pearl, he has said he's one of the best point guards in this league, he's one of the best point guards in the country, and he doesn't get enough credit. I think on this three-game streak right now, you got to give him a lot of credit because he's helped Auburn close games. He's been a difference maker on offense. He's just gotten everything really clicking and yeah, he's you know he's not going to be he's not going to be perfect uh, in terms of his um, you know turnovers. Sometimes there are matchups that can give him some trouble. But I mean, in terms of a really awesome college point guard, he's got it. I mean, he's playing really well. And after a really bad game against Georgia, he has played more along the lines of the guy that was one of Auburn's best players last season, and a guy that was up for national awards at the point guard spot. So. Big, big finish there from from Wendell Green Jr. We talked about it earlier. Auburn really did not have it on the inside. Second half rebounded evenly with Mississippi State, but State got a lot of offensive boards and a good number of second chance buckets, which really hurt them, which really hurt Auburn, I should say. They missed Chris Moore. Chris Moore you know, suffered that shoulder injury that we talked about against Ole Miss. He's, he was in a sling on the sidelines. It's unclear how long he's going to be out. But without him, you had to play more minutes for Allen Flanagan, which meant more minutes for Jalen Williams. Yohan Treor wasn't able to really follow up a good outing against Ole Miss with a, with a one off the bench. He struggled again. It's just inconsistent. That's a true freshman, still fairly new to college basketball, still, still fairly new to basketball, period, compared to a lot of his peers playing in a brand-new position. You just kind of chopped that up. By the way, if you haven't read them yet, Bruce Pearl was asked about Chance Westry on Friday. Don't really expect to see Westry in the regular rotation moving forward. Bruce Pearl was talking about wanting to protect him. You know, that knee injury, whereas it's, they got the specifics about the injury. It's a recurring injury for him. It kept him out in nearly three months of the preseason. It's where his kneecap kind of dislocates, as, as Pearl said repeatedly, which sounds awful and gruesome. Uh, but they really need to stabilize it. He missed so much time, experience. He doesn't really quite click in. I, I get it. Auburn fans want to see him. He was so good in Israel. He was so good 
uh, giving some stuff that you think your guards and wings would use right now. But this is going to be kind of a redshirt year without a redshirt year, it looks like. And Pearl continues to say he's fully confident that Chance Western will be one of their best players next year. Uh, and so we will keep an eye on, on, on what goes on with him and his progression. Um, but it sounds like he's doing a lot of, he's a lot, he's doing a lot of stuff well, uh, off the court and in practice, it's just Auburn's tightening that rotation up. It's less minutes for Trey or it's less minutes for a guy like Trey Donaldson who was playing well, um, because it's just time to lean to your experience, time to let the guys who've done it before help you carry you through Things are getting tighter as, as as the competition gets tougher. But missing Chris Moore was big because he's such a good rebounder from that wing spot. He's a good defender, too. He does a lot of dirty work on the inside. He plays bigger than he is. Um, you know, a lot of times bigger than his size indicates. And so they missed him. And so you want Auburn to get him back as soon as possible if you're Auburn. However... Credit where credit's due. This is a an extended run for Leor Berman, and let me tell you, man, Leor Berman made an impact in this game. Leor Berman being a walk on, and not the Leor Berman. Obviously, when you watch him play, quickness, lateral quickness, agility, just is not his strong suit. And so, there's a lot of times when he gets on the floor, on, where opposing offenses will just try to pick on him. They'll try to get 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 him isolated, try to go after him. To his credit, best defensive performance he's had in, in an extended run this year. Had a couple of huge defensive rebounds in this game. Hit a great shot where Mississippi State thought they were going to be able to, again, on defense pick on him. He hits a great you know kind of turnaround shot from mid-range. Um, you know, has a three late in the shot clock that misses, but Dylan Carwell is able to tip back and, and put in. If Alan Flanagan, again, the turnover's, it's a lot of that's Mississippi State, and a lot of that's having to play play you know with the way they had they did um, with the amount of minutes and the amount of touches he had. If Alan Flanagan's able to play thirty two, thirty three, thirty four minutes without Chris Moore, you can get good a good few minutes from Leor Berman, and he can just help you kind of kind of maintain maintain your level, and in some cases like make some impact plays. That's perfect. That's exactly what you want. And again, another guy in Leo Berman who doesn't have a ton of in-game experience to his to his credit, but he had had some decent runs last year when Auburn was dealing with injury. Um, but another senior, a guy who has seen a lot of college basketball, a guy who has played a lot as a scout team member, helping this team over the last few years try to be the best they can be in practice. Good run from from Lior. Auburn needs to get Chris Moore back as, as soon as possible. Takes a little bit of pressure off of Allen. Helps Lior, you know, helps those Lior Berman minutes as well. But you will take what you get from him. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's just another thing where the depth of this team can be on display. Where just be ready. There might be some games where Trey Dawson's got to play more. Might be some games where uh, you need more out of um, you know Dylan Carwell. Or even a guy like Leor Berman at times, and uh, really big, really big uh, win for for uh, Auburn in that aspect, just to show some of that depth. Even if they're not playing as many bench minutes right now, they still feel like they can rely on on that experience. And sometimes that experience and that veteran presence isn't necessarily the guys who were starters. Let's talk about what's upcoming here for Auburn. Two games 
on the road this week at, in Baton Rouge and in Columbia. Looking forward to going to both of those here this week. Uh, Wednesday night, Auburn plays at LSU. Uh, that game is going to be a 6 o'clock game in Baton Rouge. Um, LSU has lost four straight. They got off to such a good start this year. They were 12-1 and one at one point, but they've lost four straight. Lost by three at Kentucky. Lost by 13 at what was looking like a really good uh, Texas A&M team. Lost by 11 at home to Florida. And then Bama beat them by 40 yesterday in Tuscaloosa. Um, 106-66. Kind of coming back down to earth here for LSU under Matt McMahon. Brand new roster. You know, they've struggled in some areas. Um... You know, not really being able to make a ton of impact on defense. They've they've given up some some big numbers. Obviously, out you know, Alabama did that. Not necessarily a high scoring team either. KJ Williams is awesome. Um, they've got some really good players. They're going to be back at home. Like KJ Williams shooting forty five percent from deep this year. Uh, Cam Hayes is shooting forty one percent. This is a team that's completely brand new and with a new coach and just had to hit the reset button. It's not going to be an easy game by any means if you're Auburn, but they've got to they got to go down there and take care of business. They did beat Arkansas with their defense earlier this year. Uh, I should say that open SEC play. Uh, they beat Wake for a, a good Wake Forest team in Atlanta uh, right before Auburn played Memphis, um, and they lost a close one to Kansas State, who's who's a really good team in a really threatening Big Twelve conference that you know might be one of the best top-to-bottom conferences we've ever seen in college basketball. So you're playing a team that's lost four straight. They're back at home. They're really after that 40-point game. It's one of those things, though, if you're Auburn, where it's not going to be easy. It's probably going to have to be another grinded-out game just because of the physicality and the athleticism that you're going to get from LSU. But there's another way where you're on the road. Get a road win by any means necessary. Also, just kick a dude while they're down. <laughs> you got to at this point. Uh, it's, 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 it's that kind of, it's kind of way, that kind of way. Then on Saturday, Auburn plays the most confusing team in the SEC, and that would be the South Carolina Gamecocks. Look, it looked like South Carolina was going to be the absolute cellar dweller of the league this year. They lost to Colorado State, Davidson, Furman, George Washington, UAB, East Carolina, all non-conference play. They did beat Clemson, though. SEC play, they lose to Vanderbilt in overtime to open it up. They get shelled by Tennessee by 43. They beat Kentucky by three on the road in a game where they just shoot the lights out for the first time all season. And then they come right back down to earth on Saturday night at home in Columbia and lose by 41 to Texas A&M. They get Mississippi. They get Mississippi. They get Ole Miss on Tuesday night before they play Auburn. Again, South Carolina, not a very good team, but they have shown that they can they can shoot better uh, than than their numbers uh, show. And so this is a game, this is a stretch here, Painter, where it's like you got two road games coming up. Man, going two and zero if you're Auburn, if you go two and zero with this, which is never easy, doesn't matter who the teams are in in, in college basketball, road basketball games, conference games are always tough. But if you can get through it, and you're six and one heading into kind of near the midway point of the, of the league schedule. I know it's backloaded, but you keep getting better and you and you add on to things and build moving forward, you can be in a really good spot. So Auburn absolutely needs to split this this week, but it would be huge for the team to go 
two and zero, get to six and one, and start really really prepping. They'll have they'd have a couple more games. They'd have Texas A and M, then that West Virginia game, and then Georgia. You have two more home games in SEC play before the schedule really really ramps up with Tennessee A and M, Alabama, Missouri, and the like. Um, it's a big week, big big week for Auburn uh, to try to win on the road and. Kind of like with Ole Miss last week, LSU's desperate. I think LSU's a better basketball team than Ole Miss is, but LSU's going to be desperate. They want to turn it around here real quickly, and um, you know they're they're going to see a home game back a game back at home against Auburn as an opportunity to 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 pick it up. Auburn will be, you would think. I mean, just so much so much in college basketball went away from like, so many good ranked teams went down this week. I think you look at Auburn potentially getting back into the top 15. They currently sit number 19 in Ken Palm. That, that, the Mississippi State game wasn't pretty in terms of analytics, which affected their ranking uh, a little bit there. But, yeah, this is still top 20 basketball team. You know, needs to take advantage of this favorable schedule here before it gets really, really ramped up. But a good point that Wendell Green Jr. made after the game said 69 points doesn't seem like a lot, but it is a lot against Mississippi State. And he's absolutely right. Stated to Heverage only giving up 57 this season. Auburn hit that mark uh, in the middle of the second half. Went through a cold spell, but then pulled away to get that, that number at the end. Look, you can't expect Auburn to hit 11 threes every game, but if they can pull that out of their bag a little bit more often, um, they're a more dangerous team. And, and, why, and why not? You know, they... They hit, uh, let's see, they hit eight against Bradley on the uh, away from home. They hit eight against Colgate away from home. Or, I'm sorry, Washington away from home. Ten against Colgate. Eleven against Mississippi State. Nine against Winthrop. Eight at USC. Yeah, they, they, ha- they are fully capable of having good games from beyond the arc. Just don't expect it consistently. But when you play these long athletic teams that are really good around the rim, the fact that Jalen Williams can stretch the floor, the fact that you've got guards that can shoot off the dribble a little more. Alan Flanagan, that, that three Alan Flanagan hit right before, you know, to beat the buzzer uh, in the first half, an incredible shot for him. And Chris Jans also said it after the game for Mississippi State. He's like, that that was big to go from down five to down eight. You just, the tone kind of changed after that. And so, yes, Auburn's got to continue to find ways to take care of the ball better. They got to defend without fouling. That is a big, big key for them because there's going to be teams that are going to be even more aggressive in trying to attack the rim and get to the line against you. But the fact that they're able to win a game without Jani Broom playing well, they're able to win a game with their three-point shooting, get enough rebounding and enough interior defense to walk out with a win, you'll take that. You'll take that. And I think the lesson we're learning right here for Auburn is is that you can win without Jani Broom playing well. You can win without Jalen Williams playing well. You can win without Alan Flanagan playing, playing well. A lot tougher to do that though when Wendell Green's not playing well, and that just shows you the value of of what that lead that lead dog can do at the point guard spot. All right, before we move on to football, because we got some more, it feels like every time we do a podcast, we've got more transfers to talk about, which is great news for Auburn. Let's take care of some business first. If you're listening to this podcast, hi, hello, thank you for listening. Uh, we do a free one of these every weekend, uh, but. There is twice as much of this show, so you get an extra episode each week. If you subscribe to the Auburn Observer, it's $6 a month or $60 a year for a full subscription. And you don't just get our pod, this podcast. You get every newsletter that we write, and that's about four, five, six times a week, coming to your email inbox about Auburn football and men's basketball. 
deep dives in the X's and O's analysis, numbers, stats. We've got stuff like roster trackers for, you know, scholarships, management, and, and stuff like that on the football side. And uh, we go in-depth with a lot of stuff with our on our on our basketball coverage as well. Try to give you something you can't find anywhere else for Auburn football and men's basketball. Sign up, auburnobserver.com. You can, there's a link in the description of this podcast. If you're getting this through an email, you can hit the button, and it's easier to, to subscribe that way. It's $6 a month, or if you pay $60 up front, you get a full year, which means that's two months for free. Sign up. Tell your friends, auburnobserver.com. Additionally, you can give us a seven-day free trial and check us out, get the emails, get the full benefits of subscription, and then see if you want to stay on board or not. A lot of you have been doing that here recently, and we thank you for hopping aboard that way. So thank you uh, to all of those who are in the inner circle. If you want more of this podcast, you want all of our newsletters, sign up, auburnobserver.com. we got some fun stuff in the works here as we get closer to spring football, through the summer. Um, it's going to be a fun off season uh, on the football side for us, but also uh, we are in the heart of basketball season, and uh, we are trying to cover it as best as we can. Additionally, you can help us out uh, by doing something that costs no money and just takes a few seconds of your time. Painter, let them know. Rate, review, subscribe, Apple Podcasts, five stars, leave a little one or two lines, or as long as you'd like. Rate, review, mash the subscribe button. That helps us out tremendously. It really does. You can also give us five stars on Spotify, uh, but those, those, those Apple reviews are pretty big for us. We haven't had one in a little while, at least a written one. We thank you for the five stars, but really, if you can use get five stars, you write a couple of lines in there of a written review, it helps us out a ton um, because it gets more people's eyeballs on the product, uh, which means more listeners, which means more subscribers, which means we can do more cool stuff uh, here with the podcast and the newsletter. So do that on Apple Podcast, uh, and then give us five stars on Spotify. It helps us out a ton. Finally, we'd like to thank our friends at Homefield Apparel for continuing to uh, support the show. Homefieldapparel.com is the number one place to get the most comfortable T-shirts, sweatshirts, and hoodies that you're going to find anywhere with uh, Auburn gear, with Auburn logos, classic Auburn logos, really slick Auburn logos. Last night, or I should say Saturday night, uh, was 90s night, throwback night in the arena. They had a pop-up shop over at the Hall of the, the Hall of Honor, Ring of Honor, whatever they call that. There was some there was some 90s stuff in there that I hadn't seen in a while, including I saw a 1997 SEC tournament women's basketball t-shirt from home field in there that I have not seen anywhere else. That seemed like a, a pop-up exclusive, so... Hallfield's always pulling out surprises on us. It's really cool Auburn basketball designs. You got the you got the dunking obby where he's going through the the rim like Vince Carter. You got some other like really old school basketball, some nineties looks as well. Always good uh stuff from Homefield Apparel. And also, Homefield Apparel also makes the official Auburn Observer t shirt. If you like our t shirt, I mean if you like our logo, you think it's cool, you want it on a super comfortable t shirt. It's a great way to market uh, that you are a member of the inner circle. So you can buy that at homefieldapparel.com. 15% off your first order at Homefield if you use the promo code OBSERVER at checkout. Thanks to Connor, Whitney, and the whole gang. Homefield's got a lot of cool stuff in the works here for the upcoming year. Uh, talked to Connor recently, uh, and, uh, man, there's it's going to be a pretty exciting year. Um, so Auburn fans, 
keep an eye out for home field and additionally keep an eye out you know just for all the cool stuff that they've got going on on the site all right let's talk football here before we go Penner, uh this this staff just continues to pluck talent from the portal at a really really high rate and it becomes a thing where you don't want to have every conversation about recruiting in the transfer portal for Auburn be like, well, what was the last staff doing? But <laughs> like you kind of have to kind of have to say that at this point because it is such a big deal that Auburn is getting this type of talent. Since the last time we did a, uh, we did our podcast, Auburn picked up two more transfers, both of them from the SEC ranks. First, Justin Rogers, who was the Biggest Kentucky prospect ever, uh, highest-rated Kentucky prospect ever when he signed a few years ago. Well, this past season, big nose tackle. I mean, this Justin Rogers is a monster of a human being uh, in terms of in terms of his size. 6'3", 322 pounds. Sorry, originally from Detroit, um, had a had a pretty good year this past year for a big man. He can get to the quarterback. This guy who's going to plug up the a gaps. Good run stopper. We've seen the the Ron Roberts defense has used a lot of that. I mean, going back from his time at Baylor, um, you look at Dave Miranda's work at LSU and at Baylor and elsewhere. Get a guy over the head of the center and just make his life miserable is kind of the way they want to attack from the point. Justin Rogers, a really good a really good player that you know has the potential to be you know uh, a key contributor for Auburn and potentially a starter this year at the defensive tackle spot. He joins. Lawrence Johnson, Messiah Nasilakidhe, and Elijah McAllister as transfers up front for Auburn. So they continue to sign a bunch of guys, young guys, but also try to develop for the future. A lot of defensive linemen. You combine the defensive linemen and the edges together right now for Auburn. They've got 17 of those. They could probably use a little bit more, especially on the edge, but that's a good pickup. And then on Saturday night, they pick up Austin Keys, uh, who played 400 snaps this past season for uh, Ole Miss at inside linebacker. This is the second linebacker Auburn has picked up from the transfer portal from the SEC West. Keys was a really good, um, really good linebacker for Ole Miss this past year. He's a big dude as well. He is 6'2", 245 pounds. He's got two years of eligibility remaining. So Demario Tolan and Austin Keys, both guys. You could see contribute for Auburn in a big way at inside linebacker this year, but additionally, you got some more you got some more uh, time with them if you need it. Uh, and that linebacker room, you've got guys, but you don't have a true go to star, and you're going to want to try to get some more competition in there and see who emerges as the dudes um, at the position. So, yeah, big win for Auburn on the recruiting trail to get Austin Keys, uh, good inside linebacker type. Obviously, uh, Justin Rogers is going to be a big pickup for him as well. The transfer portal window coming to a close. Last few days of that coming up. It doesn't seem like Auburn's going to make a move unless something changes here quickly with the quarterbacks until maybe after spring ball. Uh, but, yeah, 12. They've got a dozen FBS transfers. They signed 21 or ha- or will sign when Jeremiah Cobb comes on board. 21 um High school and JUCO players, so 33 newcomers already on this team. You talk about putting a stamp on the new roster. This is what they got to do. This is what they absolutely had to do. And so that's two, um, that's two more pickups at positions of need for Auburn, where they've got guys with SEC experience that can come in and compete immediately. 
credit where it's due. You know, they're compared to this uh, previous staff, I think doing everything a competent staff would do. But then, of course, compared to the staffs they're going up against across the country in the portal, been one of the best best to do it this offseason. Um, this has been an excellent start. It's been an excellent start for Auburn. It's been exactly what they need to. And here's the thing. The portal wins are big. And some of these guys are going to be here for more than one year, you'd think. But you got to keep in mind with this with Auburn. This is where they need to be to get to a point. Like, let's rewind. They've not had a winning season in the last two years. Brian Harson and his staff, I mean, they were losing record two years in a row. And so for Auburn, you would love to be able to snap your fingers and say, hey, we could be TCU this year. We could go run it all the way. We could crash the playoff. Well, it's, it's a lot tougher to do that when you have to play Alabama and Georgia every year. It's a lot tougher to do that in that in this ballpark compared to the Big 12's ballpark. But what these transfers are going to do for Auburn is that helps them be more competitive right away. And yeah, a lot of them are guys that were solid players at the SEC level, not superstars, or a group of five guys that are willing to take a step up and try to get on the map a little bit more, play better competition, potentially get into the SEC. Okay? That is... These portal wins alone aren't going to turn you from a five-win team to a ten-win team. But what they could turn you into is more of like that seven-eight-win team, maybe a little bit more if you, if things click right. Auburn does have a favorable year one schedule for freeze. But it's like you got to do that. You got to take that step, you know? You, you got to have that and be more competitive right away. And in doing so, if you get these group of five guys and you get some of these, these power five guys that are, they're transferring in, and you turn into a team that wins more games, and you are more competitive uh, in 2023, then you create the excitement around the program. You create the in-game atmospheres, the environments, when you do play Georgia and Alabama and other teams at home this year, that the elite prospects of the 24 class and beyond want to play for. And look, Auburn got some really good players in the 23 class. Keldrick Falk is a great uh, pickup. Jeremiah Cobb, a number of these guys are big name dudes that a lot of really all those defensive backs are big name dudes that a lot of really good teams wanted. But this portal, like where where do you see this portal? Where, where do you see the work in the portal? Is like these are the places and the spots you had to win right away to get a more balanced, deeper, more competitive roster, so that you can take that step forward. You can take that step forward. You don't have to have this giant leap forward. And I know Georgia's success and Alabama's continued success can drive you crazy and say, well, we got to get back to that. The portal wins right now can help set the tone. This has got to be the team to help you get to that transition. I'm not saying Auburn isn't capable of catching fire and having a really big year in 2023. I've seen year one coaches at Auburn and elsewhere defy a lot, you know, defy expectations and have awesome years. I'm not ruling any of that out. It's Auburn football. You can't rule any of that out. But the more practical and the more kind of like, this is where it kind of realistically looks right now for Auburn is getting all these wins in the transfer portal combined with a better, you know, top 20, top 15 ish recruiting class. It's going to get you back into in the sec. No, not an elite. Like, Hey, this team's going to go compete for a championship right away. But look at what Tennessee did. You know, Tennessee was in the mud for a little while that first year, uh, that 2021 season, um, that first year that they had under the new staff, they took that step forward wow, they're more exciting on offense. Wow, they're they're getting some wins in, on the recruiting trail. They're making more noise. And then year two, boom, they take that step forward. 
Auburn's got to hit that transition right. Auburn's got to have that transition. Now, if you can have another 2013 Gus Malzahn type of year, absolutely, take it. Take it. You, you want to be TCU? Go do it. It's going to be really hard. <laughs> it's going to be really, really hard, but like, go do it. But like when you see like a team like Tennessee, you see a team – LSU's a little different because LSU was playing from a little bit further ahead in the rebuild process, so to speak. But it's these years where it's like, no, this is not a national championship team. This is not an SEC championship team right away. But can you get closer to that? And these transfers are going to be key parts of that uh, for Auburn. So be excited. Be be happy that Auburn is hitting these these big wins in the transfer portal. Uh, like I said, Justin Rogers and Austin Keys are guys that have SEC experience and can help you win games right away. But also keep in mind, it's like this is the steps you have to take to get to the point where, like, yes, Auburn needs to recruit at more like a top 10 level at, in high school. And... Until then, until you get to that point, and they, it was a big junior day this past weekend. Um, a lot of offers have been going out. A lot of recruiting strides have been made in that class. Until you get to that point, until you get to where people are starting to commit more frequently in that 24 class and beyond, what you can do is say, okay, what can we do to make this roster the best it can be in 2023 to build the buzz, to be the transition, to help build the way moving forward? So that's a longer, a long winded way of saying this transfer portal work serves two purposes. It makes Auburn more competitive for right now to get back to their a winning season to build for the future, but also it's what you can get right away to help you win while you recruit and develop some of these talented younger guys that you can hope one day will put you on a more level playing field with the superpowers of the league. I'll keep saying it. You know, we've talked about it already. We'll have to wait and see what the over-unders look like when those come out, but I, I just glancing at the schedule, don't see why with the additions the staff has already made that they can't win seven, eight games. You got a pretty favorable schedule. Um, oh, yeah. And then maybe overachieve a little bit. Who knows? Auburn hiring Hugh Freeze, scouting him out as a football coach. Part of the pitch for Hugh Freeze being their head, their, their next head coach was that there was belief among the people who made decisions at Auburn that he was going to do this right away, that he was going to be such a better fit for this recruiting landscape, for this transfer portal than the last guy was, and that it was going to be exactly what they needed. Because, like, could they have tried to go get somebody who wasn't as experienced in the SEC, wasn't as experienced in recruiting this area? Sure, they could have. But they wanted the... They wanted the short-term victories right now on the recruiting trail That was and, and the transfer portal. That was part of the pitch coming in for sure uh, for Auburn and Hugh Freeze. And I will say this, on top of it, we talked about it in the premium podcast. Like I didn't think they were going to be able to poach three potential starters on the offensive line in one class. Um, so got that wrong. But additionally, like I will say, like I have been, uh, you know, I have been surprised at how this staff has been able to recruit right away. Now, it's not the Alabama or Georgia classes, obviously, and you got to get closer to that in the high school ranks, but I had I had questions. I had I had doubts about, hey, could Hugh Freeze be the shot in the arm Auburn needs in recruiting um, because he hadn't done it in a while. And the last time he had done it at Ole Miss, there were obviously things uh, that led, you know, involving recruiting. Uh, that led to his that led to his departure, and it had just been a while. 
he has made the he has made the moves and has surrounded himself with the right staff members. It seems like for now uh, to get those recruiting wins, and I think Auburn getting their act together in NIL has done done a huge uh, done a huge job as well. So pretty big uh, pretty big win there uh, for Auburn, and they'll continue to keep it going uh, on the on the trail. I think um, after spring ball, I think you'll see where this roster kind of shakes out. Maybe they have some more room for some more transfers right now, but that window's coming to a close, and uh, then the, the the focus will be back on high schoolers again. So we shall see. Before we go, Painter, I wanted your thoughts. We talk about Ole Miss a lot. We talk about Alabama a lot. How about Pete Golding going to Ole Miss? Like, that is a hire that is just, like, you know, you know, like, Pete Golding was one of those interesting cats at, at Alabama where it was like everybody was saying, like, oh, he's not any good. They got to get rid of him. Got to fire. And then you would just look up and say, Alabama's still got a top 10 defense. Like, what are we, what are we doing here? Um, it, that's such an interesting hire because, you know, the fans were pushing for it for, for Alabama. Saban definitely making changes after a year that was disappointing by their standards. We'll see what Bill O'Brien does. Um, and if they have to make a change at the coordinator spot, uh, the offense coordinator spot, I should say. But on the flip side, like for Ole Miss, like you would think that their defensive problems can start to get corrected a little bit more regularly with a guy like Pete Golden on it, on their stuff. You would think, right? The thing that interests me most is how Saban went about it. Like, I think he identified Golden as somebody who he's respected, you know, Golden, Golden relatively young, um, and it kind of seems to me, I'm just guessing, that Saban wanted him to land on his feet, but also that maybe Saban did want to mix things up. So I, I'm curious to know how this was set about. Like, did he politely show him the door? Did Golding just read the tea leaves and go, you know what, I'll work with a familiar face? And I think the thing that is going to be challenging for him at Ole Miss is that he'll now be playing with uh, a hand that's simply just not as good. It's it's such an interesting move because it it immediately helps an SEC West rival, but also, I mean, is this? It's not naive at all for me to say this, but you know, it doesn't matter who Nick Saban's defensive coordinator really is, right? Right. I mean, I suppose that there's some better iterations of of it, but like, sure, yeah. I mean, offensive coordinator, sure. That's not his. That's not his bag. That's not his. That's not what he does. Um, that's just, it's it's fascinating to see. It's fascinating to see. Additionally, there was talk that like, okay, if if Alabama has an offensive coordinator opening, well, Cliff Kingsbury, and then Cliff Kingsbury said, you know what, I'm just going to Thailand. Sorry, see y'all. Like, might be the only coach to ever get fired and then immediately do it the right way. Meanwhile, Sean McVay is like, I'm still gonna run it next back next year. It's like, dude, you should have quit when you were on top. Come on, you can do this. Yeah, I just look at the Rams short term, and it's like, yeah, McVay, take a year off, make yourself desirable. You know, it's something about a, a prominent coach stepping away for a year or two, only driving up the leverage he seems to have down the road, and maybe they get it together. Shoot, Sean Payton, Sean Payton's right, doing it right saw, now. Uh, Gruden did it for years. Um, I don't know. I, maybe he's he's been good. They, the Rams have been a pretty good organization over the last couple seasons now but looking at their short term with what they have and what they've given up 
to win that Super Bowl. It seems like they're fighting an uphill battle. If I were him, I'd just take a little sabbatical and then pick and choose my spot two years from now. That's this is why we're not coaches. I think we'd make too smart of decisions. <clears throat> Actually, we make too smart of decisions to be referees. <clears throat> that's that's our real that's our real thing. All right, that's going to do it from us. Next podcast will be interesting to try to figure out when we will record it and when that will come out um, because of the LSU game, and it's just a busy week on the road for me uh, with the games in Baton Rouge and Columbia. We will get a new podcast out to you later in the week. We'll talk Auburn LSU. We'll talk Auburn South Carolina. We'll also keep a track of everything going on at, uh, in the football realm as well. If you subscribe to The Observer, you get that transfer portal, roster tracker, spreadsheet, scholarship count, all that good stuff in with your subscription. And we'll have a ton of stuff from football and basketball here over the next few days. Thanks for listening. Subscribe again, $6 a month or $60 for the full year if you want to uh, get all of our newsletters and all of our podcasts. I'm sure Friends of the Program will be back sometime in the near future. And I know a lot of y'all are looking forward to that as well. That's going to do it for me. Thanks, everyone. Again, Painter Final Thoughts. Jalen Williams, keep eating, brother. I had the